Um, before we get into teaching time, why don't we just spend a couple moments praying together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship and to, and to be together proclaiming that you are our king on this Palm Sunday. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that in our church family, we have the, the, a range, the whole lifespan represented here. And Lord, that is good. We can learn from each other. We can be inspired from one another. And Lord, this morning, we want to pray for your good and your blessing to, to be upon our children in that ministry that's happening right underneath our feet today. Lord, would, would you bring about faith, grow faith in the lives of these kids that would be uh, life-changing. And Lord, that we would be willing to learn from them as they grow Jesus. Lord, today we recognize that in our church family, we have folks who are, who are struggling Lord, that health seems to be hard right now. Lord, there are folks in our church family who are, who are dealing with different ailments and, Lord, are seeking diagnoses and clarity and are embarking in new uh, journeys of treatment. And, and Lord, for, the, for these folks and more, Lord, we ask for your healing touch. Lord, that your presence would be, would be uh, made real in their bodies, in their minds, in their spirits, Lord, that in a season that might seem hard, Lord, that you, your love and your presence would just be tangible. And Lord, for those of us who, God, things are going pretty well for right now, we ask that you would work in us to be seeing needs, make us aware of how we can be involved in coming alongside others. Lord Jesus, it is a privilege to be a community together. And so, Lord, we are looking forward to how you will use us. And, Lord, we celebrate how you are using us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray. Amen. So, uh, much to my wife's chagrin, I am not an enthusiastic road tripper. Um, she has many fond memories on going on long trips and enjoying the car ride and seeing the scenery. And when she's brought that up to me, I have been less than enthusiastic. I think that would be fair to say. Yes, I'd be less than enthusiastic. You know, that just really hasn't been my experience. I haven't had the experience on going on these long road trips and finding joy in those experiences. In fact, I think I've passed along this disposition to our kids. And so let me show you a picture of what happens to us. This isn't a real picture of us, but yes, we have heard the little voices in the back seat saying, are we there yet? And as parents that done the exasperated, no, stop asking the question. We just left the house like literally five minutes ago. We're not there yet. And I think it comes to them honestly. But I do remember the first time I heard a little voice saying, are we there yet? Both having a, are you kidding me response, but at the same time being, thinking, huh, this really happens, because it seems a little cliche. And then, but at the same time, also, so three things at the same time, um, being like, I get it. I get it, because I don't necessarily like that ride, or I haven't liked the ride, except for recently. And I'd like to think I'm a better traveler than our kids. Again, you can talk to Michelle after the service, and she can tell you all the dirty secrets, or not dirty secrets. Um, don't tell them dirty secrets. That's just not, that's just not cool. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking I'm learning to enjoy the ride a little bit more. I'm learning to appreciate the journey because I'm starting to see that it's a part of the experience. That I'm realizing that there's things to see along the way that otherwise I might not otherwise see. And there's opportunity for conversations to take place that otherwise wouldn't happen because, well, we've got the time and we have nothing else to do, and so let's talk. And I'm starting to learn that this journey is actually a good thing and is a part of the whole experience.
You know, today is Palm Sunday. And it's the beginning of this week that is known in Christian circles as Holy Week, which includes Good Friday and ends with Easter Sunday. And this week, we are invited to follow along the journey of Jesus working his way to the cross and to the story of the resurrection. And we are invited to reflect on this journey and how it might connect with our own story. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to encourage us to not skip ahead to the end, but to realize that this journey can help us understand the events of Good Friday and Easter. Now, to go back to the road trip analogy, I I remember as a kid wishing that I had the ability to teleport like I'd seen in Star Trek reruns as a kid. That suddenly I could go from this place to that place in an instant. And my thinking was at that point that the destination was the point. But this week I found myself thinking, you know, what would I have missed if I'd had the ability to teleport to PEI from Cambridge, Ontario on our family trip to the East Coast? What would I have missed? Well, I would have missed seeing the landscape around the St. Lawrence River. I would have missed seeing the mountains of Quebec. I would have missed the family bonding time of traveling uh, together. You know, I would have missed the fights. I would have missed the, you know, the games. I would have missed all of that that happens on a long trip. Sure, we would have had the experience of the other side. I would have enjoyed that, but there would have been something that would have been missing that was important in and of itself. You know, the temptation for us this week is to want to skip to Good Friday and Easter Sunday because we know how important and how significant those two days are. You know, for followers of Jesus, we, we believe that something dramatic happened on Good Friday and it happened on Easter Sunday that made it so that as a result, this thing called sin doesn't have to call the shots anymore. And whoever follows Jesus can know and love God and love others in brand new ways. See, what happens at the cross and what happened at the empty tomb radically changed things. But I'm going to suggest to us this morning that if we skip ahead, we miss out on something that likewise has the opportunity to change us. And so this morning, our focus will be on the journey that Jesus takes as we remember Palm Sunday that is in, this, in this thing that's sometimes called the triumphal entry, as we remember it, as we reflect on it. And our big idea this morning is that Jesus' journey to Jerusalem can shape our understanding of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And so this morning, we're going to be reading uh, from Matthew's Gospel, uh, verse, uh, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gently and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
Now, as we reflect on this familiar passage, because no doubt for some of us, we've heard this passage every Palm Sunday or uh, every Palm Sunday for years. But as we reflect on this, uh, on this familiar passage, there are three things that I think are important for us to keep in mind that can help us grow an appreciation for the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And the first point that we want to make this morning is that Jesus was a willing participant in the events of Good Friday and Easter. He was a willing participant. Now, throughout the Gospels, if we read, read through the Gospels and we read about the life and teachings of Jesus, we would see that Jesus has been predicting his death, and as a result, he isn't going to be surprised by what happens to him when he gets to Jerusalem. He's not going to be surprised by what happens to him over the next few days. He knows exactly what's going on. And so in our passage today, we see Jesus moving steadily, steadfastly towards the place where he is going to be betrayed and he is going to die And he's doing this of his own volition. This is not a forced death march. In fact, the details of the story remind us of how Jesus has been involved in planning what is to come. He sends two of his disciples off ahead uh, with instructions about where to go to find a donkey and what to say if anybody asks, what are you doing with that donkey? He gives them instructions. Now, there's some discussion here about whether Jesus is using some sort of supernatural knowledge or whether he knew where to find the donkey from a prior experience. And there's likewise some discussion about whether there's a supernatural element to the words, you know, that that they give, you know, when the person says, what are you doing with our donkey? They say, the Lord needs it. Is there a supernatural part to that? Or is that a prearranged kind of code word or like a symbol? Like, hey, Jesus said, guys are going to come. They're going to ask for a donkey. They're going to say you know, the Lord needs it. That's how you're going to know they're my people. That, that's one of the kind of the questions that are out there. Did Jesus make these, these prearrangements ahead of time? But regardless of whether or not these events, of them getting the donkey, are supernatural or are prearranged, what we do see here is, is how Jesus is very much involved in the details of what is happening. This incident, the scene of him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, is not by chance. And Jesus knows what is coming. And in fact, he's been a part of orchestrating all the details of what is happening here. You know, sometimes the way that we think about Good Friday makes it sound like Jesus was maybe an unwilling victim to an angry God. But here we are reminded that this doesn't reflect who God is or how God works. You know, as Jesus prays for his disciples, for his followers, he prays that they would be one even as he is one with the Father and with the Spirit. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who we sometimes refer to just with the catch-all term God, the, the, the Trinity works as one. And we hear this unity at the time of creation uh, when we hear the words of the collective one, the collective God saying, let us make mankind, let us make humanity in our image. This decision to create is a collective one. And we ought to keep that in mind as we look at the events of Good Friday and Easter. That Jesus, being fully God, has been a part of creating this plan and is a willing participant in how it's going to play out. And so as we reflect on the meaning of Good Friday and as we reflect on the significance of Easter, we see that Jesus acted freely and with intentionality to people like us. Now, a couple of years ago, 
I had a, a milestone birthday, and, and, and we had a bit of a party to celebrate this, where we had a bunch of people over for a backyard barbecue and a campfire later. And you know what? It was a really fun time together, and you know, j- stories flowed easily. There was lots of laughter. And in the, that moment, in that experience, I remember looking around and thinking, like, you know what? These are my people. I feel like I belong to these people. Can you imagine a moment like that for you? You know, a time when you felt connected to a group of people who in that moment you might, have said, you might have said that it felt like they were for you and that you belonged to them. Can you think of a moment like that? These are the types of experiences that we long to have, that we, that we want, that we need, that we yearn for. Now imagine for a moment, a hopefully fictional scenario, where a few days after that beautiful gathering We were with some of those same people, but this time we noticed that the mood had changed. Gone was the laughter and the joy, and instead we experienced awkward glances and cutting comments. If that was our experience, we might start to question if these people were actually our people, and maybe we would come to the conclusion that we didn't want anything to do with those people if that's what they started to do, would we? You know, if they flip-flopped like that, Do we really want them to be a part of our lives? Well, the story of Holy Week involves a flip-flop of how people see and relate to Jesus that I think can actually reflect our own disposition to Jesus at times. But what we see from Jesus is that Jesus' devotion to us endures even if our devotion to him does not. And it starts as Jesus rides towards Jerusalem, and he's surrounded by this group of people who are likewise on their own journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And this crowd is a very festive crowd. They're in a good mood, and they begin to shout enthusiastically in favor of him. And in that moment, they were choosing to rally around Jesus and celebrating his presence and anticipating what they thought he might do. It's very much a a feel-good moment that Jesus seems to be enjoying, while at the same time he must have had an idea that these people didn't quite fully get who he was and what he would be about. See, they wanted him to be the hero, their hero that would violently overthrow their oppressors, and that's not what he was going to do, but he was here for them anyways. Now, it's been suggested that the crowd that walked with him towards Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday were the same crowd that in a few days would would yell the words crucify him when Jesus was on trial before Pilate. And you know what? I don't know. You probably can't say for, for sure if these were exactly the same people. But I think that this sentiment is worth reflecting on. That people can be fickle. We can change our minds and our opinions fairly easily sometimes. And here was a crowd of people who got caught up in the moment, in the excitement of Jesus coming to town, and they were shouting words of loyalty, but later, the crowd would get caught up in a mob mentality, and they would be a part of his death. You know, it's hard to love people who keep changing their minds. But nowhere do we get the sense that Jesus resents them or feels anything but love for them. In fact, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus seems to look at crowds of people with compassion. 
He seems to look at crowds of people and see them for who they are and for what they need. And earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus looks at a crowd and he says that he felt compassion for them because they were in need of a shepherd. They were helpless and they were in need of a shepherd to love, protect, and guide them. These are Jesus' people. Regardless of what they happen to be shouting at the time, Jesus sees them, Jesus knows them, he knows what they need. And his love was so big that even as he hung on the cross, that he prays for forgiveness. And in a moment where we might expect that somebody would, would, would just be bubbling over with anger and bitterness and resentment, Jesus instead offers love. See, Jesus' love and devotion endures even when the opinions of people around him might flip-flop. As we reflect on the meaning of Good Friday and Easter, we have an opportunity to reflect on which crowd we might find ourselves in. You know, one day we might be enthusiastically for Jesus, being excited to follow him and just being excited to just to be a part of this thing that he is doing. Or another day we might find ourselves really weighed down by, by intense doubts, questioning his goodness, questioning whether he's even there, questioning whether he's even for us. Or maybe we might find ourselves like that crowd that is hostile to Jesus. You know, as we look at the life of Jesus, though, we see that Jesus' disposition of love does not seem to flip-flop based on what other people think of him. In fact, as Jesus talks about his coming death with his disciples at the Last Supper, he doesn't say, I'm going to die because of you people. He says, I'm going to die for you. Jesus says his death is for them, out of love. And so wherever we happen to be this morning, I want to remind us of this truth, that God is for us and that Jesus loves us. That God is for us and that Jesus loves us. All right, show of hands here for a moment, okay? Um, I gotta tell you what the show of hands thing is about, though, first, don't I? Uh, show of hands. How many of us have found ourselves watching NCAA March Madness tournament, either the men's or women's tournament? Seriously, people? Okay, a couple of you, okay? Okay? And, there, and you know what? It's been a pretty compelling basketball tournament. And I know that we aren't all sports people, but it's one of those things, it's one of those things that has been compelling because sort of like the Olympics, there's an intensity to it. That either you, if you win, you keep going, or you're out, you go home. And in three short weeks, you go from 64 teams down to one sole winner. You have to win to stay in. And it, it is, the whole thing is very dramatic if you can get into it. Now this year, you can tell because I asked you that question, this year we've gotten into watching it, and we've watched about as many games as we possibly can, even texting each other updates when one of us has not been able to, to, to be following along. For example, last week during our amazing annual general meeting, I was sitting right here, Michelle was at home with the kids, and I got a score update finding out that Miami had won during our budget presentation by Dave Wig. The budget presentation was fantastic. I, it was in good hands. I didn't have to worry about it. I looked down and was like, yes, okay. Um, but as much fun as it has been to watch, one of the things that I can't help but, but feel is for these college kids because there's so much riding on this. You know, when they win, the joy is just overwhelming. You just kind of almost feel them explode with happiness. But when they lose, it's just devastating. 
And this is where some of you folks who are like, I'm not a sports person, are right. Because if you think about this, you're like, you're saying to yourself, like, there's a lot riding on something that in the grand scheme of things, it's basketball. Like, doesn't matter. But the emotions are real. And they remind us about what we tend to think about when it comes to what victory looks like. You know, victory often looks like one party dominating another party. Victory often looks like scoring points at the expense of somebody else. Victory looks like glory for some and shame for others. You get it. But when we look to Jesus, we see an alternative. See, Jesus shows us an alternative path to victory. shows us that victory can look different. Now, let's be clear. What we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter is that Jesus did win a decisive victory over sin. He did. That's what we celebrate. Now, as a quick aside, um, you know, the, as we read through Scripture, we will see that there's different images, different ways that the authors of Scripture, inspired by God, describe what it is that happens on the cross. And they use different languages, different imagery. Some talk about, you know, what happened to Jesus in terms of a ransom being paid. Some use legal language. There's, there's other ways that the authors of Scripture uh, use to describe what it is that happens at the cross. And so if you're somebody who's like, I still am feeling a little gray about what happens. The authors of Scripture use multiple ways to describe what it is that happened through Jesus' death and resurrection. But they all come to this same conclusion that what happened to Jesus resulted in victory. That Jesus won something decisive through his death and his resurrection. Now, as a long teaser for a future sermon series, before we, the lead up to next Easter, this is the furthest I've ever, I've ever planned ahead for a sermon series, okay? Stick around for 2024, folks, because we are going to work our way through atonement theories at some point, and I think it's going to be kind of a fun way of exploring the different ways that we can think about and we can reflect on what exactly did Jesus, did Jesus accomplish on the cross. That'll be a good one. So pencil that in for 2024. We'll see you then. <laughs> But the big idea in all of these things is that Jesus wants something decisive that was for us. Now, the scene in our passage today, in many ways, looks like and sounds like a victory march. The crowds are responding to Jesus by spreading out their cloaks or their outer coats along the road in front of Jesus, and others are cutting down branches, and some of the other gospels identify the branches as being palm branches, and spread them out or wave, and also wave them in the air as Jesus passes by. And these two items, cloaks and palm branches, carry significance. You know, the spreading of outer garments for, out for somebody to walk on was a show of honor and was an act of submission paid to royalty. And so in doing this, they are, they are treating Jesus as if he is a king coming in to Jerusalem, almost a conquering king coming into Jerusalem. And the palm branches are a part of a religious ceremony that was a part of the religious life of Jesus' people that was reminding, about reminding them about what God had done to free them from oppression, from oppression in Egypt, to free them from being slaves in Egypt. And together, these actions are a part of Jesus being welcomed as a person worthy of honor, as somebody who would win a victory for people who are oppressed. They are treating Jesus as if he is a king coming in and who has won something. And you know what? Jesus would win a victory. He does win a victory, but not in the way that the people were expecting. And Jesus' march into, into Jerusalem looks like a victory march of a conquering king or a general with a fairly significant difference here. 
See, instead of coming in on a big stallion, on a war horse, a big glorious-looking beast that you can ride in and look big, he comes in on a donkey, maybe even a colt of a donkey, a baby donkey, a beast of burden. Think about it this way. If we were anticipating a visit by a dignitary, we, we might be looking for a big black armored SUV, right? Fancy, Cadillac, something like that, and with somebody waving from inside. That's what we'd be expecting. This donkey showing up is like, you know, a dude showed up in his rusty Toyota Corolla surrounded by his buddies. One is big and glorious, and one is just pretty normal, pretty humble. You know, as we consider the meaning of Good Friday and Easter, we should keep this image of Jesus riding a donkey in mind because it serves as an important reminder of who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, and how God's victory has been won. And so I'd invite us this morning to think a moment about what our experience, uh, about our experience of what it usually means to win and whether the results are really good. You know, what does a political victory usually entail? What does that look like? Well, in an election, a political win would mean that you receive more votes than the other person. And optimistically, we would say, great, you know, the people have spoken, but we live in pessimistic times and there's questions about elections all around us right now because, you know, when the person who we don't prefer wins, we start to wonder, was this done correctly? You know, were the processes followed the way that they should be? Were they, were they manipulated? Were there outside forces involved to try to make this right? And the questions of what, whether how election is won can be divisive and can generate mistrust. And we see this taking place in interesting ways, definitely in our neighbors to the south, but also it's becoming a bit of part of the political story here in Canada as well now too. One victory leads to questions, doubts, Questions of trust and divisiveness. Or what about what does it mean to win the war on terror? Well, this term, war on terror, became fairly common after 9-11. And on face value, it sounds good. I mean, who doesn't want to get rid of terror? That sounds like a good thing, right? We'd sign up for that. But the reality of this or any other military intervention is that while it might be responsive to something immediate, long-term it tends to create more problems in fact, many of the folks that have been labeled as terrorists are byproducts of previous attempts to score military and political victories. They're the people who lost, felt like they were abused and mis like taken advantage of, bullied, who on their side of things are standing up for themselves. That's not a win. Or how about this? Let's get this closer to home. Those seem a bit big, right? I'm sure this will be easier to deal with. How about winning an argument at home? Have you ever been in an argument with somebody that you love? And while you technically prove that you are right, it really feels like you lost? Or more correctly, nobody won? I'm the only one that's had that happen to them, right? We've all had that experience. You know, so often our ideas about what it means to, to win or to be uh, victorious come at the expense of other people. And while I'd like to think that most of, our, our, most of the time our intentions are well-meaning, there are also other times when we just want to get our own way and we can find ourselves doing whatever it takes to win. 
And the result can be that we create more hurt, more brokenness, more mistrust. But Jesus' march to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey is a clue, that, a clue for us that the normal ways of scoring points and winning is not how he works and is not the only way to victory. See, Jesus' way to victory comes through something that looks very much like defeat. But through his death comes the victory over sin that means that you and I can have life, have experience eternal life now, and have the hope of eternal life to come. And when we reflect on that, we can realize that our normal patterns of interacting with other people, you know, there's alternatives. That there are alternatives to the cycles of animosity, abuses of power, and violence, and bullying to get what we want. And instead, we can take on a different posture, a selfless posture, and find life and wholeness and offer life and wholeness to others. We may not get quick results, but those are the results that will last. See, Jesus' path to victory doesn't create more victims. Instead, it offers life and wholeness and love to even those who stood against him. Now, as we prepare for, to ref, uh, prepare for Good Friday and Easter later this week, I want to encourage us this week to take some time to, to reflect, to slow down and to, and to prepare ourselves for what is to come. And we do have a great resource put together by uh, BIC Canada, our denomination, where there's a devotional that starts today, and that's been a part of their weekly email. You can grab that uh, virtually, there's a, but there's also a limited number out on our welcome table, too, if that's something that you would like to use to prepare for um, Good Friday and Easter. That's something that's available to us. But I'd like to also su- suggest that we could take this passage that we've been talking about today, and we could use it to reflect and prepare ourselves for what's to come later this week. And so here's, here's what I'm inviting us to do. Uh, the first is to read or reread the story of the triumphal entry, the story of Palm Sunday. And you can read it from the passage that we read today from the Gospel of Matthew, or it's interesting is this is one of those things that shows up in all four Gospels, which in and of itself tells us something. You know, the gospel writers all tell us about Jesus from their own perspective, and they emphasize different things. And sometimes we, we read a story about Jesus and his teachings in one gospel or two gospels or three gospels, but it, you don't always get it in four. And when it shows up in four gospels, something's there. Okay, there's something there all the time as Jesus, okay? But it makes me just sit up and take notice. It's there four times. So maybe there's something there for us to reflect on and to read each gospel writer, the way each gospel writer reflects and tells this story, because they do do so a little differently. And then to reflect on how the events of Palm Sunday and Easter can shape our understanding of Good Friday and Easter. I'm sorry, take this story and reflect on it and say, God, how can this help me understand and appreciate Good Friday and Easter in a new way? You know, when we make space to do this, what we are doing is we are creating space for God to be at work in our lives. We are creating space for the Holy Spirit to move in us and to speak to us. Perhaps giving us new ways of understanding something that we thought that we had, you know, all figured out already. Or maybe to hear God speak to us in new and fresh ways. Or maybe we find ourselves in the story in a way that was previously we hadn't thought about. And in making space to do this, God can work. 
And so this week, I would invite us to uh, be intentional about going along this journey with Jesus to the cross and to allow the journey to shape us. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you again for today. And Lord, this morning we thank you for just the opportunity to start preparing ourselves for the week that is to come, Lord. Lord, to see you as the humble king who has come to be for us, to offer himself for us. Lord, as we reflect this week, help us to find ourselves in the story. And Lord, to see that wherever we happen to find ourselves, Lord, that your disposition towards us is love. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are for us. Speak to us this week, we pray. Amen.